What number is this, Chip? Episode 109. Monkey's Color Cast Commentary for Alias Mickey Dolans, our tribute to Rosemary, Monkey's News, and more. Okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. back to Zilch. I'm one of your hosts, Coughing Ken Mills. If I sound a little bit different today, it's because I've got the cold everyone else seems to have, so if you're under the weather, I hope you get to feeling better. I hope that you're staying warm wherever you are. We have a jam-packed episode today. Monkey's Color Cast Commentary for Alias Mickey Dolans. Our tribute to Rosemary. So we're going to jump right in with some Monkey's News. The newest issue of the Archie's Comics, issue number four, is in comic book stores right now. The comic has the Archies traveling back in time to meet the monkeys. The story is by Alex Segura, Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Joe Iasima. It's a fun romp for monkeys fans, and it shows that they are still relevant to today's music and comic book buyers. The Archies number four is in comic book stores right now. You can also get it digitally from Amazon or Comicsology, so pick up your copy today. Elsewhere in monkeys news, the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe podcast caused a bit of a stir in the Monkeys universe recently. They ended their 10-year show run with an interview with Michael Nesmith, where he talked about his upcoming First National Band Redux shows. And he announced that 7A Records would be recording at least one of those shows for an upcoming CD and vinyl release. So let's listen to a clip from the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe podcast. Take it away, guys. Welcome, loyal members of the Egghead Army, to the most pleasant surprise in podcasting history. I'm Mike Quackenbush, that's Clayton Morris, and today, on The Grizz, we're talking to Michael Nesmith. I'm sure there's so many fans out there that, you know, are super excited about it as well, and leads me to that question, are you guys uh, maybe thinking about putting an album together, a new album? Yes. I made a deal with the same people that put together the BBC show and the Drury Lane. Oh, beautiful. They're going to put it out on vinyl and on CD and, and what have you. They're English. And mm-hmm. uh, so they're going to, I don't know which show they're going to record, but they're going to record one of them. And then uh, out it will come. That's amazing. Yeah. Ian Lee and 7A Records, they've been doing such a great job. Earlier this year, of course, we we did an extended look at the at the BBC recording that they put out of yours. And as, as it regards this upcoming set of five concert dates, what a once in a lifetime opportunity it is. That's right, you heard it there. And if you want to hear more from the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe podcast, go to grizzlybearcafe.com. They talk about everything from pop culture, superhero movies, TV, everything. And they talk a lot about Mike Nesmith and the Monkees. And their fellow Monkees fans and Zilch listeners as well. So hello, guys, and thank you for that clip. Check them out over at grizzlybearcafe.com. The episode is 436, Postscript, You, Me, and Papa Nez. 
And after you're done listening to the Grizzly Bear Egg Cafe, check out the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast with Al Bigley, Alan Williams, and Jody Ritson. They recently had Papa Nez drop by there as well, along with Christian and Cersei Lynx. So listen to that episode. It is a great time to be a Monkeys fan, folks. And speaking of 7A Records, we at Zilch cannot recommend highly enough their latest release, Out of Nowhere, featuring Mickey Dolan's solo show with the American Metropole Orchestra. And now here's our own Christine Carlson Wolf with her review of the new album, Out of Nowhere. Mickey Dolan. Nowhere is the latest offering by both Mickey Dolan's and 7A Records. Recorded last spring, the album showcases Mickey backed by the American Metropole Orchestra. This ensemble is in residence at Western Oregon University under the baton of conductor and musical director Keller Coker, and they describe themselves as being dedicated to the preservation and presentation of American vernacular music from ragtime, blues, swing, jazz, rock, soul, pop, and more. And I say the arrangements on the songs on Out of Nowhere live up to that description. From the opening notes of the first track, the listener knows they're about to hear not your ordinary monkeys Dolan's concert. I was immediately drawn in by this jazzy instrumental number, and when I went searching for information about the song, I expected to see the composer listed as Henry Mancini or some other jazz fusion artist of the 60s. But no, this is an original composition by American Metropole Orchestra's own Keller Coker. I think it kicks off the album very well. From there, the listener is treated to many familiar songs and a couple that are not so familiar. Some of the arrangements have been tweaked and some not, but all benefit from the fuller sound of the orchestra. A highlight from the familiar songs is Porpoise Song. 
you could tell that this was the song the audience was waiting to hear. What would Porpoise Song sound like live and performed by an orchestra? I encourage you, the listener, to pick up a copy of Out of Nowhere and find out for yourself. A final standout for me is Since I Fell for You. I think Mickey really enjoys stretching his wings by performing non-monkey tunes. We see him doing this more and more frequently from his cabaret show at 54 Below to some of the solo albums that he's put out over the last few years. Here, on this particular track, he delivers a gorgeous performance of this American standard. When you just give love And never get love You better let love depart I know it's so And yet I know I can't get you out of my heart You made me leave my happy home You took your love and now Since I fell for I would love to hear an entire album by Mickey of standards from the American Songbook. I think that he would do a great job performing them, and uh, I would be very interested to hear it. All in all, I recommend Out of Nowhere for its uniqueness of instrumentation, excellent as always vocals by Mickey, and the beautifully engineered recording by 7A. 
Glenn and Ian at 7A have consistently turned out top-notch material, and Out of Nowhere is no exception. I recommend that you pick up a copy today. Thanks, Christine. I have to add my recommendation to yours, and I encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy of Out of Nowhere Today. Recently, Rosemarie, the big man and monkey mother herself, passed away. Earlier in 2017, Zilch was fortunate enough to feature an interview with Rosemarie by our own Jeff Geringer. We're going to replay that interview, but with a bit of an introduction by our own TV girl, Melanie Mitchell. Take it away, TV girl. <laughs> Everybody loves my baby, but my baby don't love nobody me. Before Cher, before Sting, before Bono and Madonna and Adele, there was Rose Marie, a singer so famous she never needed to use her last name. Born in 1923, baby Rose Marie, the child wonder, started belting out songs on stage in New York at the age of three starred in her first short film at the age of four, and had her own radio show at the age of five. As a teenager with a national radio audience, she eventually dropped the baby part of her professional name, but she never added her family name. She didn't need to. She was just Rosemarie to audiences across the nation and eventually around the world. And she was a trooper for her whole long, long life and recently starred in the film story of her own life called Wait for Your Laugh. This is a 1938 Betty Boop cartoon that Rosemarie provided the voice for the character Sally Swing. She was 15 years old. Introducing for your enjoyment the lovely, delightful, and talented Sally Swing. Hit Sally. Okay. Look a little Sally swing. Oh, Sally, oh, Sally, oh, swing. Don't want to mosey around with Mozart. He wrote a symphony so hot. 
don't want to beat it out oh, with zero, Beethoven. Zero. I want my music and my biscuits high. When I'm in that groove, I want to lead a band and sing. Oh, oh dearly, oh dally, oh sally, oh swing it, swing it, and lightly da 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 da. Like so many young stars of the early decades of film and radio, Rosemarie never saw any of the money she earned while she was a child. Her father, who had mob ties, managed her career and kept all of the earnings. When she fell in love with the GI at the end of World War II, her father stood in their way, and his underworld friends made it necessary for Rosemarie and Bobby Guy to elope all the way from New York to California where Bobby had a promising career as a trumpet player. She started over, finally an adult performer with her own rights, and gradually expanded her nightclub act to include comedy as well as music. She was at the top of the marquee when the first major hotel opened in Las Vegas, the Flamingo. And then she broke into television, as we all know. But here are a couple things you might not have known. When Rosemary was hired to play a comedy writer on The Dick Van Dyke Show, she recommended a role for her old friend, Maury Amsterdam, who had been writing jokes for her for years. Remember the show's opening credits? Starring Dick Van Dyke, Rosemary, Maury Amsterdam. She had second billing on that show in front of her male counterpart. In 1961, when she was on a promotional tour for the Dick Van Dyke Show, she met a young writer at a CBS affiliate in Cleveland. His name was Tom Conway. She was so impressed with young Tom that she helped him get an agent and his first big job as an actor on the Steve Allen Show. Tom changed his name to Tim. He would later go on to star in McHale's Navy and The Carol Burnett Show. Yes, Rosemarie discovered Tim Conway. In 1964, her husband, Bobby Guy, fell ill from a mysterious blood disease that was never quite diagnosed. He died that same year, at the age of 48, leaving Rosemary with a teenage daughter. She was only 41. She never married again. Bobby was the love of her life. And while she stayed on the job, cracking jokes with Dick Van Dyke and Maury Amsterdam, from that day forward, she always always wore a black bow in her hair for Bobby. I had the privilege to attend a screening of Wait for Your Laugh last month and participate in a telephone question and answer session with Rosemary after the show ended. She was bright and generous and full of life, and she answered questions for nearly half an hour, as long as the audience members still had questions to ask. Eventually, I brought up enough courage to ask a question myself. I asked her about the home movies that had formed such a backbone of the footage for Wait for Your Laugh. I asked, when did you start taking home movies? Without missing a beat, she answered, just as soon as I got the camera. I fed Rosemarie a straight line. What an honor. Rest in peace, beautiful lady. Here's an interview Rosemary did last year with our Jeff Geringer. Hi, this is Rosemary, and you are listening to Zilch. That's me. Rosemary, 
the Monkees, with the tune written by Mickey Dolan's Rosemary. Well, for over eight decades, Rosemary has been entertaining audiences around the world. She was a child phenomenon as baby Rosemary. She was a little girl with a big voice. And before Cher and Liza, Rosemary was the very first celebrity to be known by just her first name. She was a popular attraction in vaudeville and nightclubs. She was the first performer to open the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. In 1961, Rosemary was cast as television writer Sally Rogers on the legendary television comedy The Dick Van Dyke Show. The award-winning show ran for five years. Once the series ended, Rosemary was a guest star in many popular series, including The Virginian, Gunsmoke, Murphy Brown, and many others. She was also a regular on the popular Doris Day situation comedy. She was a regular panelist on the popular game show, The Hollywood Squares. She toured the United States in a very popular nightclub act entitled Four Girls Four, featuring Rosie, plus Rosemary Clooney, Helen O'Connell, and Margaret Whiting. And currently, they are filming a documentary on her life, featuring Tim Conway, Peter Marshall, and Dick Van Dyke. Rosemary is known to Monkees fans for her two popular guest appearances in the episodes Monkees in a Ghost Town and Monkey Mother. In fact, Monkey Mother arguably is the most sentimental of all the Monkey episodes. So after years of trying, I am so glad to welcome Rosemary to Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. Now, what do you want to know? Well, I wanted to start back on, uh, in 1965. Well, um, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> the Van Dyke show had ended after five years. Yeah. And I wanted to know, what was your career goal? What were your plans to do after the Van Dyke show ended? Well, what I was always doing during the Van Dyke show. I was doing nightclubs, doing my concerts all over the country. I was working for Flamingo in Vegas. I worked Vegas four or five times a year. And uh, I, I just kept on working. I, I didn't even think about it. I hoped that Maury and I could do a series, but uh, nothing didn't happen. So, And we could have stayed, I guess, another two years on the Van Dyke show because we weren't in color. We, we could have had two more years in color. Would have been great. But Dick wanted to leave, and Sheldon wanted to leave, and Carl thought that he was dried out, which he wasn't. <laughs> but that was that was it, and we quit. And Sheldon Leonard even told me, he said they would back up the Brinks truck if Dick wanted to do the show. Wow. So that was it. We could have gone another two years in color. Now, back in 1966, you were hired by the producers of The Monkees. I know, James Frawley. Right. I knew him, yeah. Um, what were your memories of the monkeys on that very oh, first episode? Nothing, nothing but wonderful. When I met the boys, it was like the beginning of their career, and they were anxious and excited and thrilled about everything, and it was wonderful to see this in young kids like that, you know? Sure. And uh, they looked at me like an old bag and, <laughs> you know, would come to me with questions and and I say, well, no, it's okay. This is it. This is that. This is that. And they said, oh, God, that's wonderful. And they were so anxious to learn. They were adorable. I, I loved each and every one of them. All right, punks, where's the loot? Come on, lady. The PTA meeting's down a block. <laughs> you gotta be George. 
You got a big mouth. That's right, who are you? I ain't the welcome wagon. You ain't the, ain't the big man. Nah, I'm the big woman. The big man's wife. <laughs> and then where's your husband? He got too big. Now I'm the big man. I don't believe on Lenny any more than these kids. I think you gotta be the mother. Hey. You never call me that. Oh, you. What is this, a Boy Scout camp? Never mind. Get rid of them. You hired the big man. Go ahead, knock them off. Quick, before they start saying again. Yeah, as they were saying before. Oh, yeah? Hey, you boys singers? You ever work professionally? Uh, yes, ma'am, we're a group. Uh, we're the monkeys. Ah, oh, chimp back, huh? James Frawley and the Monkees were known for ad-libbing a lot when they used to perform. Did, did you have a, a reference point of watching them ad-lib? I really don't remember, but I'm sure we did because I could keep up with that. In the episode... Which one? There were two. It was called Monkeys in a Ghost Town. Yeah. You played the role of the, the big man, yeah. although you were the big woman. Yeah. You, you also performed two songs. One was Fats Waller's Everybody Wants My Baby... Yeah. And the second was a hit for band leader Orrin Tucker called High Neighbor. Thirty years ago, the name Bessie Kowalski brought a throb to millions of hearts. <laughs> I'll bet you have a lot of heart, Bessie. Thank you, Sonny. You're a nice, sensitive boy. Lenny? Yeah? Take him out and shoot him. Hey, wait a minute. There's one singing act to another. Maybe you'll give us one last request. I don't do requests. <laughs> Lenny, in just a little while... We'll be far away in the palladium up in the sky. But before we go, we'd like to do just one more encore. Sure, Sonny, I know how it is. Once a trooper, always a trooper. Lenny, let him do the number. Then shoot him. Bessie, we'd be honored if you'd do the, the number with us. Everybody loves my baby, but my baby don't love nobody but me. Nobody but me. Well, that's okay, Bessie. Uh, we'll uh, try something a little more up. Oh, good idea. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. What do you know? And what do you say? Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Throw all your troubles away. Come on. Now, did you have any say over what songs you sang? Well, it, it, I think if I remember, I sang very badly. Uh, but I, I sing very good. But the idea was to sing badly. Right. To sing off key. And uh, then the monkeys showed me their songs. And I think we decided to do an act. <laughs> Something like that. It was. Well, the song High Neighbor that you did just seemed to almost fit you perfectly. Two songs. I was Everybody was my baby. Yeah. And the second was uh, a hit for band leader or in... Or in Tucker. Or in Tucker. Called High Neighbor. Yeah, hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Perfect. Um, you were such a popular guest star. They had you back later in the season on an episode called Monkey's Mother. Yeah, and everybody talks about that. Well, because every... I'm very proud of that, by the way, because the fans never stopped liking me. I still get fan mail today, and I'm amazed, you know. They love it, and I, I'm thrilled about it, because it was... Well, it was kind of nice working with them. Well, sure. It was wonderful to see them change 
from the first show to the second show because in the first show they were anxious and excited and didn't know what was coming. And in the second show, they had a few shows under their belt, so they were a little stronger, and it was adorable to see. Oh, such a good boy, my Mickey. Mike. Mike, Mickey, what's the difference? You're all good boys. Oh, look how this one cleans. A regular Picasso of grit. No, please not do that. I just cleaned that. Oh, and so conscientious. This isn't the first time you've helped around the house. No, it isn't the first time. You know what it means, responsibility, huh? Well, we, we had kind of a large family, you know. And little money. That's not a happy combination, Mike. Well, we, we made that all right. Sure. With a little help from Mr. Nesmith. Mike. For you, I got to make something special. What can Millie do for you? Make me a success. <laughs> well, how do you do that? Well, I don't, I don't know. You get a couple of hit records or, or a shot on a television show. Tell me, Mike, what good is success if you catch a cold? <laughs> I'll make you sweat it. What? Now, let me measure you. Come on. Let me see. That's it. Sleeve. Turn around. So what about the leaky faucet? That doesn't interest you? There's a leaky faucet? Don't rush. We'll drink seawater till you're ready. <laughs> oh, look at you. Look at you. What if somebody should come over for a visit? They'll think it's a zoo. Okay, Millie. I'll fix it now. Mickey. Yeah? You don't mind, do you? No, I don't mind, Millie. Well, I'm sure why Monkeys fans love you so much in this is that you were just the perfect ideal mother. Well, that's nice. That's very nice. As, as I say, I'm thrilled that the, the fans remember that because I still get fan mail like crazy. Oh, that's sweet. Now, even though it was 50 years ago and you had great fondness... You have to bring that up. <laughs> we lived through it too, my dear. You don't <laughs> so... have to bring that up. <laughs> Every time I go for a checkup, they say, your name and age, and I give you my name, but the hell with the age. Atta girl. <laughs> Davey, you're an English boy? That's right, Millie. You know Rex Harrison? No, I haven't had the pleasure yet. How come? He's an English boy, too. <laughs> Maybe he's avoiding me. <laughs> That's all right. Don't apologize. Some people don't make friends so easily. Now, me? I knew everybody in the neighborhood. Hello, Linda. Hi, hello. I'd call up from the window when I came home from shopping. Uh, that was the neighborhood. You'd call up from the street. So why'd you move? Nobody called back. I would have called back, Millie. You're a good boy, Davey. Did you have any relationships or any special discussions that you can remember with the boys? Well, it was... How can I explain this? I, I was older, and they were looking to me for, what about this, and what about that, and how do we do this? And they, in the beginning, they were very green and looked to me for help in every way, which I gladly did. But the second time, they were a little more sure of themselves. And it was very wonderful to see them grow with the show. You know what I mean? Certainly. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. 
And it was wonderful because now we were kind of easy going and back and forth. In the beginning, they were looking to me for help. Like, what do we do here? <laughs> they didn't say it, but they would act it, you know. Looking they didn't from... say, can you help me with this or help me with that. They were very nervous and scared. And they, they were they were adorable. They were like little chicks out of an egg, you know. They were trying so hard for everything. And all of them were so damn clever, everybody in their own right, that you had to look up to them. I did, anyway. You mentioned James Frawley. Did he have a large effect on your episodes? Oh, he was the director, yes. He was wonderful. I did two of them with him. I knew James. I had done a couple of other shows with him, so he knew me, and that was that was fine. You and the Monkees also crossed paths a few years later when they were guests on Hollywood Squares. Yeah. One of these stars is sitting in the secret square, and the contestant who picks it first could win a fisherman's holiday on the Baja in Mexico. Which star is it? Rosemary, Fred Willard, or Paul Lynn, all in the Hollywood Squares. And here's the master of the Hollywood Squares, Peter Marshall. Thank you, Kenny Williams, and a good, good evening. Welcome once again to the Hollywood Squares. Hello, stars. Uh, Rosemary, please. Ro. Why do they always go, uh, Rosemary? Why don't they, why don't they say, uh, the lovely Rosemary? Try it do? again. Ken, what are you going to do? Rosemary. <laughs> Okay. The lovely Ro. <laughs> yeah. uh, Can't get me back. No, 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 that's lovely. No, Ken. Listen, Ro. All right, Ro, Ro le, le, please, right. we must move along here. Yes, These people have to win cash and prizes. According to Dear Abby, uh, is there a law that can force a man to marry a woman? Yes, and I think it's called a mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> the mother-in-law. That's cute, yeah. But is there a law that can force a man to marry a woman? Is there a law that can force a man? You mean legitimately law? That kind of law? Hmm? Gee, I don't know. That takes in a lot of territory. Um, I would say somewhere there's got to be a law that would force a man to marry. She said a woman. yes. I'll agree. No. Nowhere at all. I'm no. dead. No. With a circle. Um, you were regular from day one. Well, you mean about Hollywood Squares? Right. How did you How did you get the? Well, the, I had just lost my husband, and I was in deep pain and very, very bad. Because I was married 20 years before he passed away. And uh, it was very hard for me. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do anything. Just leave me alone. Let me suffer, you know. And I got a call from Mary Markham, who was getting people for the show. She said, I want you to do this pilot. I said, I don't want to do anything. She said, all you have to do is talk. You don't have to sing. You don't have to work. You just sit and do, do answer questions. What kind of questions? Well, they're going to ask you questions. They want your opinion. I said, well, she said, please do this because it'll help you get started again. And in the interim of all of this, I got a call from Dinah Shaw to do a, a show with her, with my daughter. It was a mother and daughter show. Dinah with her daughter and me with mine. I said, I can't do that. that. That's ridiculous. And my daughter said, oh, mother, please, I want to do it. I said, okay. So I'm, I'm deviating, but I'll get back to squares. <laughs> uh, I, I did the show with Dinah, 
with my daughter. My daughter wanted to do it very badly, so I said, fine. And Dinah said to me, God love her. She said to me, get off your ass and go to work. <laughs> and I said, I can't. I can't sing. I can't do it. She said, well, you're doing fine with the show. Don't worry about it. Now Mary Markham calls me and tells me about this new show. And I said, I, I can't do it. I just, I just can't work. I can't. You don't have to work. You sit in the chair and answer questions. They're going to ask you questions. They want your opinion. Please. I said, okay. I went down and, uh, what's his name from the, there you go, Miss America. What's his name? Bert Parks. He was the MC, or the one that was, you know, the moderator. Right. We made a pilot. And it was fine. I just sat there and, and threw off answers whenever they asked me, you know. And it was fine. And that's all I heard. Next thing I know, she called me again. She says, we're going to do the show again. We're trying to sell it. Okay. And the second time, it was with Sandy Barron. Jesus, what a name. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow, I'm really scared of my memory about that. <laughs> and we did another pilot. And that's the last I heard about that. Then she called again and she said, we're doing it. I said, my God, what's going on? And thank God for Peter Marshall. Peter was absolutely excellent and wonderful. He knew just what to do, how to put us on, how to take us off, how to get into the question, how to make the most out of it, how to cut us off. He was absolutely perfect. And the show was sold. And that's how I got Hollywood's great. Outstanding. Do you, I hate to ask you this, but do you have a favorite line or question that you might have answered? Well, I loved Paul Lynn, of course. Of course. And his questions and answers were unbelievable. And uh, one of my favorites was they asked him, uh, if you're going down the freeway 89 to Malta and the cops ask you, what do you do? And he says, shout and yell for Jesus, <laughs> which just applauded me. <laughs> and there was a couple of others, but that was my favorite. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Just a great one. Speaking of Peter Marshall, um, I heard that he is now going to be the narrator of this beautiful documentary they're doing on you. Yeah, he's going to be. He's, he's absolutely. Peter and I have been friends. I don't want to even mention the years. It's ridiculous. We've been friends for over 50, 60 years. Both of us working nightclubs and both of us being on the road half the time. And we were very good friends and we still are. And I love him. And I have such respect for him because he knows just what to do. He's the eternal juvenile. That's what I call him. <laughs> That's what I call him. Tell us about this documentary. It sounds so exciting. Oh, I'm going to see it Thursday. Wow. I haven't seen it. It's all finished. And I, we're showing it here at the house for me and, and a few friends to see. And uh, Jason Wise, the producer, director, he is absolutely a genius. He's going to be very, very big. Remember that name, Jeff? I will. Jason Weiss. He just did a couple of complimentaries on wine. But wherever you go, everybody knows about it. And he's going to win an Academy Award one day. He's going to be the biggest thing in this country. He's so unique, so brilliant. He's 34 or 35 years old, and he's just brilliant. There's never been a documentary like this. This isn't... Rosemary's day, uh, uh, walking around the house, you know, showing what she does. None of that. This, he goes back, 
he reproduces my life with different people. Wow. And I, the people that have helped him has been absolutely extraordinary. It's like I tell my daughter, somebody's looking out for us. Something is, somebody is saying this is the way it goes because he has to, there's no money involved. We had a, a, a thing where they cleaned out my house to sell everything. Right. To get money to put the damn thing on. And every time Jason went to somebody like transferring film or doing something, they say, oh, you don't have to pay. We love her. We don't want to pay. How special. So it was, it was unbelievable, Jeff. I can't tell you how proud I was because the people that involved in this thing were, oh, forget it. You know, just, just do what you have to do. We love her. Do it right, you know. And Jason would come back. He says, I don't understand this. this, this, this. <laughs> he says, it's unbelievable. Of course, he paid for a lot of other things, you know. Sure. But there was some that were so nice and so wonderful. And I said, well, I said, I know you're going to be great because I, I got a feeling he's brilliant, Jeff. He really is. Oh, I can't wait to see your documentary. How wonderful. Well, as I say, it's not a day in Rosemary, you know. It isn't one of those. Walking around the house showing you everything. He made everything come true. Wonderful. Everybody helped. Nobody got paid. <laughs> I don't think you better say that. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody got paid. He used his daughter to use to, to impersonate me at three years old. Oh, wow. And my son-in-law to play Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> it was just unbelievable. I said to Newfie, I said, somebody is looking out for us. Dear God, somebody is taking care of all of this. Well, how great to get your story told like that. We can't wait to see it. I can't either. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any part of it or anything. So they're coming over Thursday and setting it up in the house here so I can see it. So um, I have to be seating down. Well, it'll be comfortable, and, and I, it's how fun for you to see it, finally. I'm very excited. I really am. And I, I hope, well, I, I know it's going to be good, but I just don't know how I'm going to react to it. I really don't know. He said, I will cry a lot. He said, about my husband and things like that. And I said, well, I'll be prepared for it. I'll just wait and see what you do. You wow. Know. Well, Rosemary, you're loved by Monkeys fans around the world. and, and thank yeah, I found that out. Isn't that great? Yes. I'm so glad that you were part of their, their magical legacy. You've just been a great part of Monkeys history. Well, it's unbelievable because I still get fan mail. And they, they, every place I go or whatever, they say that they watch the monkeys and they love what I do on the monkeys. It became a whole big thing. I think next to uh, Dick Van Dyke and Hollywood Smith, I get the most mail on the monkeys. <laughs> That's great. It's unbelievable. Well, bless your hearts for spending some time with us. That's so kind of you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. A very special thank you to Rose Marie for joining us today on Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. And keep an eye out for her documentary. Rose Marie was known to bring an 8mm camera on set she worked on, and some rare Monkey's clips might show up in the final cut of the documentary. We'll keep an eye out for you. Thanks again to Rose Marie. I'm Jeff Gerringer. It could be 
spectacular interview. Really you know, it's 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 always really cool to hear stuff like this. This is one of the magical things about this show. I, I love what we're able to accomplish here. This is incredible stuff. And here's her recording of Bumper Force. Check this out. Before you I talk too much. No, no, no. Before you leave, could I get you just to do an ID for us? Can I what? Can you just do a hi? This is Rosemarie, and you're listening to Zilch. Zilch. What is, it, what is it called? It's called Zilch. You know, like Zilch, nada, Zilch. 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 Z i l c h. <laughs> There's a monkey song called Zilch. Uh, you want me to say, "Hello, this is Rosemary, and you're listening to Zilch." Yes, ma'am. You just did. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll do it again for you. Okay. Bless your heart. Let me do it to, to perfection. Okay. Hi, this is Rosemary. And you are listening to Zilch. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Bless your heart. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear. Have a wonderful afternoon. Rosemary is an incredible talent, and she will be missed. Thank you to Jeff Geringer for that very special interview. And now it's time to grab our popcorn and settle in as Melanie Mitchell and Jeff Hewlett give us their color cast commentary for alias Mickey Dolenz. I'm going to press the big button on the remote, so here we go. Hey, wait a minute, guys. You know what? It's 7.36.30 Central Time. It's time for the monkeys. I wonder if anybody around here has got a television set. The monkeys, brought to you by Kellogg. Tonight's Monkey's Color Cast commentary is brought to you by the Red Maracas Emporium. Sure, we sell other instruments, but for some reason, our Red Maracas seem to get the most attention. Ask Boris for a deal on our $6 Maracas, now with Front Street Parking, or you can use the parking in the rear. Just exit through the heart. And welcome to our Zilch Color Cast commentary for the 25th aired episode of The Monkeys, alias Mickey Dolenz. I am Jeff Hewlett, and alongside me once again is none other than monkey magic author, the wonderful Melanie Mitchell. Hello. Hello, Melanie. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you doing? Well, as you can probably tell by the sound of my voice, not so well. I uh, oh. have to apologize to all of our wonderful monkeys listeners out there that uh, I am a little under the weather, but as we always say in show business, the show must go on. So here we are persevering through still recording, getting this awesome color cast stuff out to you guys out there. So by the time you all hear this, I will be well again. So that's the silver lining. I'll be sick, but he'll be well. <laughs> oh, imagine if we could transmit viruses through podcasts. Oh, wow. <laughs> How powerful would that be? Oh, God. Mm. Oh, well, let's not think about those bad things. So, you know, as we always do here on our color cast commentaries, we like to look back at unfinished business from our previous episode. This time it was Monkeys a la Mode. Melanie, what do you have for us? Well, you hit me with two questions during the commentary mm. that I couldn't answer right away. Uh, you asked about other episodes where Davey didn't get romantic with the girl. Mm. And I came up with several. Um, these are episodes in which Davy saw the girl. I mean, not instances where he never even met her. 
Right. We start with one man shy where Valerie Cartwright was being pursued by Peter and David mm. left her alone. Likewise, in I Was a 99-Pound Weakling, Brenda was the darling of Mickey's desire, and Davy left her alone. Hmm. Um, in the episode Hillbilly Honeymoon, Davy really, really, really wants to be free from marrying Ella May. <laughs> he did. Um, in Monkeys in Texas, Davy made no moves on Mike's beautiful cousin Lucy. Oh, remember that. And in Card Carrying Red Shoes, Natasha only had eyes for Peter's mm-hmm. face. And except for one brief objection where he asked, you know, what is this chopped liver? Davy left Natasha alone. And finally, in the episode Fairy Tale, only Peter and Mike were impressed by the princess. Huh. Interesting. That's a good enough example. A list of examples. More than I thought there would be. Mm-hmm. I was a little impressed by how many there were, too, especially the monkeys in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. You would have thought Davy mm-hmm. would have totally gone for Mike's cousin. But yeah. Hey, maybe he's got some respect for Mike and you know, didn't want to get involved with the family. That could be. Yeah. And you also asked, how often did Mike wear a blue hat? I knew it had been in other episodes, but I wasn't sure how many. Um, it actually appeared in four episodes altogether, starting with Monkeys a la Mode, which is the one we were watching. Also, Monkey Mother, Monkeys on the Line, and on stage in Monkeys on Tour. Huh. Amazing. Remember him dropping it on, on Mickey's head when Mickey oh, was singing Mary, Mary? Right. That's the blue hat. All right. Huh. But it didn't survive into the second season. Oh, okay. I oh. think. Oh, we'll pour sure. one out on the curb for the poor blue hat. Yeah. <laughs> I like the blue hat. All right. Um, so I guess that finishes up our unfinished business for now. And we'll be back with that on our next episode, of course, because I'm sure there'll be some stuff that pops up. Okay, wait a minute. Episode. I just thought of something. Oh, okay. I just thought of something. I think it I think it appears at the end of Alias Mickey Dolan's. Does it really? Because they're going to perform the song Mary Mary and they're all wearing blue. Oh. You know We're what? about to find out. We are about to find out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> in, in a few short minutes, we'll be watching this episode. But before we get there, we need to run over some of the details uh, about this episode. Uh, do you have any information on when this episode was filmed? I do. Um, this was the last episode filmed in 1966, right at the end of December. Oh, wow. They finished on December 22nd, which was a Thursday. Christmas fell on a Sunday that year. And on December 26th, the day after Christmas, the Monkees gave a concert in Denver. So I suspect, although I can't prove, that the reason they filmed this one um, right there and the end of December and had this episode which basically mickey's the only member of the monkeys who has a significant role in this episode mike has a two or three scenes and peter's barely in it at all i suspect that they did this when they did so that the other monkeys could travel home to spend time with their families that makes sense we know that davy did because he says so in the interview at the end of the episode he doesn't mention christmas but he does say he went home Mm mm-hmm and according to Andrew Sandoval's uh, Monkeys Day by Day, on the Thursday, which was the 22nd, which was the last day of filming, only Mickey of the Monkeys was at the set. Hmm. Everyone else had left. Very cool. And I think what of this aired sometime in, in early March of 67, right? Right. So there was it was a 26th film, but the 25th aired. Yeah, that's actually pretty close to, yeah. you know, in order. Some of the others are way out of sequence, but this one yeah. isn't. Yeah. And what songs were originally in this one 
the songs that are in the original broadcast are The Kind of Girl I Could Love and Mary Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, instantly, I, I should say the songs that are in this episode, period, because nothing was ever substituted. Oh, wow. Um, according to the Monkeys Film and TV Vault, this episode was not rebroadcast at all, either in the summer of 67 or on Saturday morning TV. Oh, my God. First, first rebroadcast was in 1975. Which I wonder by that why time, that is. Well, I think because it's violent. Oh, yeah. You know that that. Well, we're going to get to the that first romp scene. But yeah, that first romp scene is probably one of those violent things in the monkeys, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, it doesn't have quite as many dead bodies as monkeys a la carte. But it, it anyone who's read my book knows I did the episodes in alphabetical order. Hmm. And this was the first episode in the book. <laughs> and I commented at the time that it, it's a very unusual episode. It's very dark. It is, yeah. And that romp not only is violent, but it's basically monkeys free. You know, yeah. Mickey's on screen, but he's unconscious or barely conscious. He's not doing anything. No, everybody It's else, basically yeah. a bar fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with with smashed half smashed bottles and yeah, it's and people diving through tables and Yeah. There's a lot of stunt work. Well, we'll get to that. When we get to the actual episode here, mm-hmm. uh, we got a little ways to go before we get there because we've got to talk through the cast. And uh, who do we have up first in the list? Well, I decided to put Maureen Arthur at the top of the list because mm. I just adore that character, Ruby, um, the sweet voiced blonde gun mall. Um, she got her start way back in 1955 as a regular on The Tonight Show with Ernie Kovacs. Mm. And she went on to play the sexy secretary Hetty LaRue in the national touring company of the play how to succeed in business without really trying Hmm. and she also appeared in the 1967 film adaptation of that musical in 1969 she co-starred with Don Knotts in the movie The Love God and with Jackie Gleason and Bob Hope in How to Commit Marriage Hmm. and one of the things I discovered to my surprise is that she also had a brief recording career she recorded a single called Don't Make the Angels Cry in 1962. Hmm. We have a sample of that song to listen to. Don't make them cry. You know, having never heard that before, I think my initial reaction was it sounds like a really standard 60s pop song to me. Very she, early, yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it fit the, the template of, you know, short, catchy pop songs. I think uh, mm-hmm. definitely had a very nice sound. And I was surprised it didn't go further than it did, um, knowing that it didn't yeah. really chart at all. No, but, it just... Um, 
I'm, I'm surprised she didn't go on to do any more recording after that. Cause it sounded like she could have had some potential. Sure. She has a beautiful voice. And yeah, it reminds me a little bit of a song of um, Navy blue. I'm blue, Navy blue. Hmm. Um, it, it definitely that very early sixties uh, mm-hmm. girl lamenting the way her boy has done her wrong. Yeah. Kind of song. Definitely. I'm like, I'm surprised that it didn't get more play because it really, fit into that wheelhouse uh, the, mm-hmm. the time frame when it came out that those that early 60s it sounds like a lot of other stuff you would have heard on the radio back then yeah yeah so i'd be curious to know what our, our listeners think of don't make the angels cry oh yeah you know what how about we put a, a challenge out there and i'm sure we'll have a link to the the youtube clip here i mean you can listen to the full song on youtube we'll have uh ken put it in the show notes when mm-hmm. the episode comes out but you know jump back on the thread for this episode when it comes out and tell us what you think of the song and maybe we can read some of that in our unfinished business next time around oh that would be cool yeah that would be fun something something new to do out there in in monkey listener land and more ways to give us feedback so who's next uh next we've got robert strauss who played the police captain who i thought was kind of a, a really interesting character in this episode i have some notes in my commentary notes to to talk about that I liked about him, but he was nominated for an Oscar for his portrayal of Animal in Stalag 17, a role that he had originated on Broadway. I think a lot of these actors who were um, doing these guest spots wound up on Broadway before or after their TV stints. Uh, he also appeared in Sailor Beware, Jumping Jacks, Bridges of Toko Re, The Seven Year Itch. Wasn't that a Marilyn Monroe movie? I believe so. And The Man with the Golden Arm, Lil Abner, The George Raft Story, Girls, 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 The Thrill of It All, Family Jewels, Frankie and Johnny, and Fort Utah, which is quite a long list. Mm-hmm. Uh, his TV credits go back, oh man, to the early 50s or so. And uh, he was in, well, he's in a whole lot of different shows. Uh, as um, you know, Schultz Playhouse, Pepsi Cola Playhouse, Colgate Comedy Hour, The Harrison Ford Television Theater. Just kidding. Ford, Ford television. Just kidding. <laughs> I just watched the Star Wars trailer. Can you tell? Uh, Texaco Star Theater. Uh, lots and lots. Oh, the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. Oh, I love Desilu. And uh, so so many shows. Those are just some of the TV shows named after their corporate sponsors. So um, let's see. Who else do we have? Well, I looked up some information about Jimmy Murphy, who is Tony Ferrano, the... Uh, uh, yeah. uh, second second banana in the little gang led by Babyface Morales. <laughs> um, I noticed that as I was reviewing his um, list on IMDb that he frequently appears in military roles, huh. starting with the screen classic Mr. Roberts. Um, he also appeared in Navy Log, The Silent Service, Flight, Rally Around the Flag Boys, Paratroop Command, and Gomer Pyle USMC. Hmm. Hmm. But he also appeared in many police procedurals and westerns. Far too many to list. Yes, we'd be here all night if we gave everyone's yeah. full filmographies. Um, let's see. I think we got a couple more. There's Mike Wagner, who played Vince. Um, Mike Wagner, interestingly enough, uh, was born in uh, 1915 in New Jersey. So I got my New Jersey connection here. I always like to, to shout out to those New Jersey actors. Uh, and his name was actually Julius Michael Wagner, so he dropped his first name uh, for his television career. Uh, his character is identified by the captain as Muggsy, but in the dialogue, he's addressed as Vince, and he's Vince in the credits as well, so a little continuity error there. Um, Mike Wagner was a regular 
on the Screen Gems series uh, Camp Runamuck, which was filmed on the very same berm and lagoon set at the Columbia Ranch where the monkeys filmed many of their beach scenes. That's a cool connection. Uh, he kept busy during the 60s and 70s doing guest appearances on shows like Mr. Ed, Laredo, Green Acres, Daniel Boone, My Three Sons, The Big Valley, Here's Lucy, and All in the Family, one of my eternal favorites. He also appeared in the 1978 Clint Eastwood film, Every Which Way But Loose, which I believe also features a chimpanzee, does it not? An orangutan, actually. Oh, the orangutan, yes. Yeah, I always get those confused. I'm sorry, primates who may be listening to the show. <laughs> uh, didn't mean to offend. Um, unfortunately, he passed in March of 87. And uh, that's about it for Mike Wagner. Okay, well, I'm just going to say something really brief about Don Sherman, who is on the screen very briefly as the patrolman. Um, the same actor also appeared as Leonard Shelton in the episode Monkeys Marooned. Hmm. He was a con artist with a treasure map to sell. Cool. Very so cool. both times both times he appeared on the Monkeys, he was trying to sell something. Ah, this time he's trying to sell tickets to the policeman's ball. Right. Which is a familiar gag from a lot mm-hmm. of TV shows back then. <laughs> Um, all right, so I think what do we have left? We got uh, some information on the directors and the writers. Uh, these are all returning folks, but we're going to say a little bit about each. Um, the director is Bruce Kessler. This is the last of the four episodes that he directed for the monkeys. The others were Monkeys at the Circus. I've got a little song here and the chaperone. Uh, he'll go on to direct multiple episodes of It Takes a Thief, Adam 12, Marcus Welby, MD, Beretta, Switch, McLeod. Barnaby Jones, Chips, The Greatest American Hero, oh. Hardcastle and McCormick, Riptide, The Fall Guy, and The Commish. On the film side of things, he also directed the 1974 film Get Christy Love. Oh, wow. Which I yeah. have to watch that movie one of these days. Yeah, I've never I've never seen that, but this just brought up a memory for me. I'm just going to throw this out real quick, then we're going to derail the conversation. But I was just out in Salt Lake City. Uh, for Comic-Con a few weeks ago, and I actually saw, and this just warmed my heart, I saw a guy who was dressed up as the greatest American hero. He had the cosplay on with the wig, and I was just so happy to see that that was still alive out there somewhere. I loved that show when I was a kid. I I loved that show only I wasn't a kid. I'm oh, older than you. Sorry, Melanie. <laughs> sorry. I remember being a being a young man in the in the eighties and I was in college. <laughs> oh man. All right. Sorry about that. Take it back. I take it all back. No, 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 no. We we have that in common. That's but, lovely. Uh, I did I did meet a legend while yeah. I was at Comic Con in Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. So yeah, Mr. Dick Van Dyke himself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Congratulations. Very, oh, thank you. I was very happy about that. I got a really great picture with him. So maybe I'll send oh, you a copy and so you can you can take oh, we that. need to put that in the show notes. I'm sorry. That has to go to Zilch. Oh, for Zilch sure. Zilch Nation demands it. Okay. I will send it along. I'm very proud of it. Very happy. Congratulations. With Thank you. Uh, what else do we have left here? Oh, um, we still got to talk about the writers? Yeah. Um, Dave Evans wrote the story, but the teleplay was a joint effort by Dave Evans, Gerald Gardner, and Dee Caruso. Ah, okay. Um, we've heard from Dave Evans recently. Um he wrote uh, or contributed in some way or another to writing nine episodes of The Monkees, including Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers, Too Many Girls, I Was a Teenage Monster, and he co-wrote The Frodo's Caper oh, with Mickey Dolenz. I love The Frodo's Caper. He also, <laughs> he also wrote for Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, hmm. The Bill Cosby Show, and Love American Style. Nice. 
And then we have Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso, who were, of course, the script and story editors for the entire series. So I can't begin to list the number of episodes they had their fingers on. They got their start as a team writing for That Was the Week That Was and moved on to be head writers for Get Smart before getting the gig with the Monkees. They would go on to write television specials for Jerry Lee Lewis, Bill Cosby, Robin Williams, Debbie Reynolds, Don Rickles, and Jack Benny. Wow. They have quite a history. Oh, yeah. Very and that's cool. just the, what they did together. Yeah. Amazing stuff. We always have such fun stuff to talk about here before our commentary tracks. Is there anything we have left before we start our color cast? I think that's it. All right. So everybody, get ready to tune up your Blu-rays, your DVDs, your streaming media, your YouTubes, your what-have-yous. And we're going to start our commentary track here in 3, 2, 1. All right. There is Mickey doing a terrible job driving the monkey mobile. Yeah. He parked it across two different parking spaces. Well, he wanted to make sure he didn't get a door ding. It is a pretty (laughs) nice car. So how often do we see just a single monkey in the monkey mobile? Ah, would have to try to figure that one out. I do not know. Maybe yeah. never, except for that one time. Yeah, we don't see the monkey mobile all that often. So, and yeah. boy, is he getting pummeled. Well, he's getting pummeled with a newspaper, and not even a very big newspaper. I don't understand that scene at all. No. Uh, especially since we're going to see the same character later on. That is Tony. Yeah, um, yep. Much tougher. It's, yeah. It's only in that first episode, he's like, don't touch me. Like, he's scared. Yeah, you know, it's it, you don't really get the 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 story behind that for a little while into the episode. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess it, it's a little foreshadowing of what's to come after the, the credit sequence here. That uh, we're going to get a fun little sequence in the police station, which mm-hmm. I think is almost one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode. So oh, yeah? how haphazard it is. Yeah, I, I just, <laughs> it, everything just happens so quickly and uh, out of the blue. It's it's fun. I just I have a lot of fun watching that scene. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else stand out to you about the opening sequence? Or oh, we're going into the show now, by we're the way. We're going in, yeah. Here we go into the... Okay, and... this is the same building as the Remington Clinic. Right. Yeah, it's the seat, um, building right on the Sunset and Gower lot. Um, the building is still there. Mike just so happens to have a guitar case with him going into a police station. So we can see this gag coming a mile away. Of course we can. I'm not even sure there's a guitar in that guitar case from how easily he was able to flip it around. (laughs) Yeah, really? I mean, elected, correct me wrong. If I'm wrong, I've never actually held an electric guitar, but I think they're probably fairly heavy. Yeah, they're not light. And usually those cases have shoulder straps on them. Well, there is a handle on it, but then you lose your, your gun metaphor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Mickey's met Los Angeles police before, and this oh, is right. the first time someone has thought that he looked like Babyface Morales. Mm. And there, there's Babyface himself with his ruby ring on his pinky finger. Yeah. And of course we have to do the, uh, the oh, how ugly he is gag until <laughs> the police chief shows Mickey his own face in a mirror, and that's what it takes to finally get Mickey to admit that he looks a little bit like baby face oh yeah it's a little weird though they go straight into yeah. this now what do you want me to do and i love this i love how kind fast of... it happens 
And you see, to me, that's a blooper. It's like, you know, a nitpick. How in the world did they get from you look like him to we're recruiting you, uh, you know, magic. that fast? <laughs> uh, okay. Narrative economy. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And I, I love that Mike is trying to convince Mickey not to do it. That's oh, absolutely. But the police chief's having nothing of it. Yeah. And, uh, and that that enough thing is is kind of cute because Mickey echoes it a moment later. Oh, Mike's shaking his head. No, 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 no. <laughs> By the way, look at the walls there. That green color with the fluted oh, pilasters. Yeah. This is our ballroom set. Oh my God! Again, I you know I didn't yeah. even pick up on that. <laughs> it's wow. a smaller version. I think they must have some modular sections that they can put together for different uh, hmm. arrangements. But that is the. Definitely the walls of the ballroom. Oh, that they did a good at. job making it look like a police station. Oh yeah. And here, I love this little sequence. The peace here. protester. The peace I... protester sitting outside. He's handcuffed. Yeah, I love that the cops throw the papers up in the air before they yeah. dive behind the the desk. I love yeah. it. But I thought it was interesting that they had a, a handcuffed peace protester. Now look at that street yeah. with the the cars driving by. That is Beechwood. Oh. That's the street that runs down the middle of the Sunset and Gower lot. Huh. That um is provides the address for the monkey's pad. Cool. And that was a little bit of monkey magic, I thought, by the way, Mickey dodging <laughs> all those bullets while oh, running yeah. up the stairs and then fast motioning his way around the police but station I'm, there. I'm just trying to figure out was that Tony shooting at him? Because I, I don't think you could really see Later on, when he shows up at the bar, everyone seems surprised that he's there. Hmm. Anyway, this Good is, question. I think this is, for me, the technical highlight of this episode was how well they did this uh, editing. Yeah. Where was, we're seeing Mickey in both roles. Yeah, I was going to, I had some notes in here to, to comment on that. I, I love the way Mickey acts out this scene as himself and Babyface. He really pulls it off because it really feels like Babyface and Mickey are two separate characters. Yeah, well, the hair is different. That's yeah. one thing. But they really do a good job um, shooting over the shoulder or around the hips of the stand-in, who I think is probably Rick Klein. Okay. Um, you know, in The Prince and the Paupers, we knew that it was Rodney, Bing Rodney Bingenheimer who hmm. was standing in for Davy. Um, but in this case, we don't know who it is, but Mickey's regular stand-in was Rick Klein. All right. Now, I don't understand this walk, you know, kind of crouched over with a sort of, you know, slouchy nodding of the head. Because every mm -hmm. other scene we see of either Mickey or Babyface walking, it's straight up and without that, you know, hunched over kind of shaking the head kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, he does more of a saunter than a yeah. than a bounce up and down hunch move. Yeah, well, that might be just because the prison cell is so small. Oh, potentially, yeah. But yeah. I think but Mickey the voice does a good job yeah, playing as a heavy. I love it. Well, I said in my book that Mickey actually plays three roles in this episode. Um, mm -hmm. He plays Mickey, he plays Babyface, and he plays Mickey pretending to be Babyface. That's true. Very and true. Th the last one is the most impressive because he keeps sliding back and forth between the two personas yeah i wonder if that was in the script or something that he kind of ad-libbed his way through i don't know it's i don't have this script but uh he really did such a magnificent job with the two different roles and making them very clearly two different people um it's kind of scary there doing the choking yeah baby face. 
and the editing, just to make it look like there really are two Mickeys in that cell, they they really did a great job with the timing and the cutting back and forth. Absolutely, absolutely. It seems almost over and above for, you know, a, a comedy sitcom. To mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's our, of course, every mobster has to have a handful of aliases. Of course. All goofy and funny. And of course, they do the same kind of gag with the last name, the last alias being ridiculous and requiring some sort of an explanation as to where it came from right well actually in a moment he's going to identify one of mugsy's aliases as being sherry fingerhead yes and this episode was um filmed before monkeys a la mode aha i was going to ask about that so fingerhead had been used previously as far as filming was concerned but the episodes were switched around when they were broadcast that's awesome. I'm glad that you brought that up because I had it in, a, in a, my notes to ask about that the fingerhead name. Mm-hmm. And then in this scene, the captain calls that guy Muggsy, Muggsy, Muggsy. And then later on, everyone's dressing him as Vince. Hmm. So you see that he's not doing that slouched over, bobbing up and down kind of walk. He's perfectly upright. Yeah. But oh, boy, does he look tough. Yeah. He, and he, he's got some great hand motions in there. Yeah. Yeah. And here's your entrance of Ruby. Oh, she is just so sweet. And yeah. and it's such a dark episode, and she just gives it a little bit of lightness. She does. You know, she's not playing a bad person. She's not playing a good person. She's just playing somebody who's who's really sweet. And I love that joke about kissing his ruby. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good gag. Yeah. It's a good gag. I like now, how she pulls him out of the chair, too. Yeah. Yeah, she really does love him. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Watch, see how messed up his hair is now? Yeah. It's <laughs> great. He wears a hat better now than he did when he was 24. What, um, <laughs> is this, is this set a bar somewhere around, or is this, was this a set made on the lot, or? I don't know, but one thing I have recently learned, um, from talking to Misha Hoff about the Columbia Ranch is that they had a lot of standing sets available at the Columbia Ranch. Hmm bars and offices and things like that that could be used by any series that needed a bar or an office or a church so this may be at the columbia ranch instead of building a bar from scratch Mm. um they could have just used a standing set that they had somewhere else and in fact the monkey's pad appeared in a couple episodes of i think i dream of genie Hmm. um after the monkeys were canceled so here we have our not very rompy romp, which is no. really just a bar scene. That slow motion of the him breaking the bottle, that was a pretty awesome shot. Yeah, I like the, the creativity of the, the use of slow and fast motion yeah. in this Notice romp. It's Ruby's kiss that knocks him out. It was. Yeah. Now, now, we inexplicably have all the, the tough guys in the bar beating each other up for no apparent reason. We also inexplicably have Ruby sitting on the floor next to Mickey, stunned, even though she's still on her feet. That's not Ruby. There are two women in identical black dresses. I suspect the second woman in the identical black dress was actually a stunt woman. Oh. And the original plan was for Ruby to get involved in the fisticuffs. Hmm. Um, You know, romps tended to be rather loosely scripted. And they made up a lot of stuff right there on the set. So instead of having the the stunt woman substituting for Ruby, they actually have the stunt woman fighting with Ruby. Hmm. And that's when Ruby comes unconscious, but she's been on the floor the whole time. 
the editing on this is just insane. It is. And this is probably, I think this may be one of the most violent scenes. Oh, yeah. In the entire Absolutely. series. I mean, there's nothing romp about this romp. No, not at all. Nobody's having fun. No, and the, and the the song doesn't necessarily fit the romp either, or the romp doesn't fit the song, rather. There is no monkey song that fits this romp. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Zora and Zam? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure whether Monkey or whether well, Mickey was to trying war, to kiss. So. Yeah. I'm not sure whether Mickey was trying to kiss Ruby, but he never quite manages it, and then no. he stands up. And, of course, and, he had enough, of course. Yeah. Tony surrenders even though mickey spent the entire fight sitting on the floor <laughs> and then there's this weird sight gag right at the very I love end this gag you I do oh absolutely i love this this is great oh, okay. all the carnage and mickey oh i like him walking across the going I like into that the part. ladies room but going to the ladies room that's just like please i love it because like, you don't I can't explain it. You just, I love it. They stayed low. You couldn't see the sign on the door. You thought he was going somewhere where he was supposed to go and turn into a gag. All that, that carnage. Uh, this is my favorite scene. Um, I just love the way Mickey keeps sliding back and forth between the two personas. Hmm. He's trying so hard to be tough. And then he pulls the gun out and the bullets fall out. <laughs> so here's another uh, another puzzler for you. I was uh -oh. wondering, because you're seeing there's a liquor bottle there on the table, and uh -huh. Mickey pours a drink and actually drinks it. Now, I'm sure that's not alcohol, but how many times do we see the monkeys consuming alcohol or alcohol, well, period? You identified that moment in the very first episode, Royal Flush. Hmm. Um, I know there's at least one other. I can't think of it right now, but it'll be in the unfinished business next time. Okay. I look <laughs> forward to it. So I get the, the uh, you didn't say right fast enough. Yeah. And then only Tony says right. I like those two gags. Mm -hmm. Both good. He's just trying so hard to to be tough and then has to be reminded what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> that the best part. Pretty real, too. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that Columbia Pictures had plenty of very real looking guns in their prop cabinets. Yeah. <laughs> and there's Mickey trying to take a swig of what I think must be whiskey. I love how he reacts, though, because, I mean, he it just goes on and on and on. He can't find, quite find where the gun goes in the holster, and he's still coughing. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of us can relate to that, our first, uh, our first <laughs> sips of hard liquor. They never go down easy, but it gets easier as you get older, kids. Wait a minute. That was bad advice from the Zilch podcast. Sorry, kids. <laughs> don't drink don't drink in podcast anyway and then he's back to being mickey he's still in the same costume but he's comfortable in his own skin and this is the first time we've seen peter in this entire episode it is, and We're this is already around, past the commercial break yeah this is around the time where i started to realize that davy wasn't in this episode well oh, wait a minute. up until now almost nobody's been in this episode we had a couple scenes with mike early on but this really is a mickey solo i mean yeah. he's He's doing most of the work. He's playing two different characters. He's in almost every scene. And I love that uh, I'll get my coat. <laughs> I love that he's being held up by the back of his suit, yeah. too. That had to be a little uncomfortable. Yes, and, and Mike's response, you know, you know <laughs> that, that they are their specialists. That's so clever. <laughs> uh, 
And I mean, he made that decision really fast. <laughs> now, we would have to, I would have to assume that if the police were to put, you know, Mickey in this type of a scenario, they would have had other officers relatively close mm-hmm. to make sure nothing happened to him. But uh, it doesn't seem to be the case. Well, uh, persons of authority, particularly police officers, uh, government agents are totally incompetent in this series. It's a, <laughs> yes. it's a truism. It's true. Yeah. And I just, oh, there's Ruby again, and she's just so sweet. But she, now Mickey is totally immersed in the in the babyface Morales persona. He's not faking it anymore. I mean, this really is babyface, and you yeah. can tell he's a different person. He is, and I'm a little concerned about Ruby here because she's she appears to be at that bar 24-7. There's always a <laughs> martini in front of her, so I think Ruby's got a drinking problem. Well, she's probably got other problems, too. <laughs> wonder what happened to the lookalike after the fight oh did we see any damage in that bar did they get it all fixed up after the fight it didn't look damaged to me (laughs) so where are we now is this the ballroom set again or is this i don't think so um i'd have to do a physical comparison with this and some other mansions we've been in like the the one in the christmas episode Hmm. hang on a second that hutch over in the corner Mm -hmm. right behind mugsy that's the corner of the office from uh, Monkey vs. Machine. Hmm. That little arched top on it, little display cabinet. These my walls might be from that office. I'd have to look. Interesting. It's got a fireplace. Well, I, I think all of these things are modular. You know, yeah, they just pull it out of the corner and line it up. Yeah, where did the monkeys get dynamite? <laughs> How did he know what kind of specialist he would need to be? Yeah, I then, love that that he folds himself over the screen and under the mantelpiece. Yeah, instead of just moving the <laughs> yeah. screen. And he does it twice. He does it going in and he does it coming out. <laughs> so this is the most Peter has to do in the whole episode is yeah, hand tools much. to Mike. <laughs> now, what does this mean when Mike says, this is for you, Dale? I have wondered about that. I thought it might be a reference to Dale Evans, but I don't know if that's a specific reference. Like there was a a scene involving dynamite in one of the Roe Rogers films oh, okay. or or not. Um, maybe one of our listeners will know. Yeah, that would be nice for you. If anybody out there can tell us what that means, that really piqued my interest when I was watching this earlier. I have a feeling one of our listeners is going to come up with a specific reference. I would not doubt that. Yeah. <laughs> Now, there's no, at least I didn't notice any monkey magic in this episode, but um, Bugsy has some magic. He's able to operate that hammer and chisel in, like a jack jackhammer. Yeah, well, I, I considered Mickey dodging all those bullets out front of the police station monkey magic. Okay. Because he was moving awful fast, so. Yeah. So we have a dim-witted police officer. We've had a few of those in the series, too. Oh, Again, yeah. cops are incompetent. Yeah, he didn't notice everyone else dive behind the couch, even though they were all standing there when he walked in the door. Well, never mind the fact that the DeWitts aren't home, and there's not supposed to be anybody in that house. Well, he's much more (laughs) concerned with selling policemen's ball tickets. Well, on the other hand, he goes out and calls in to report the people in the DeWitt mansion after he gets $20 for his tickets. So maybe he's not so incompetent after all. Maybe not. And I find it very fascinating that the monkeys are usually broke. But in this case, Mike had 20 bucks on him to buy policemen's ball tickets. Yeah. And you know, to them, that would be quite a bit of money. Uh, yeah, back in the 60s, that was quite a bit. 
Mm-hmm. I remember my allowance in the early 1980s was $2 a week. <laughs> and that went really far with the ice cream man, let me tell you people out there. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, you can get a lot of stuff back then. I think can of soda was 40 cents, and even that was high. That was from the ice cream man. So which babyface Morales is more convincing? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm perplexed on that one. Yeah. Mickey's got a, a deeper brim on his hat. I think he looks tougher. Yeah. Maybe Face's hat is more of a I think it's called a trilby. <laughs> yes. And then Steve Lawner, the driver in that uh getaway car, is uh one of the uh, partners of Raybert oh, and cool. uh Rafelson and uh uh Bert Schneider. Nice. I like that they were actually using real split screen there. <laughs> as well with Mickey and Mickey, so that was kind of cool. Not much of a fight scene, though. I mean, no. look at it—they caught them by landing a sheet on top of them, and one police officer is able to lead them away without any handcuffs. Yeah, not not a. <laughs> now this is the most unrealistic thing: is that they get a share of the stolen jewels. Well, first of all, that little box has the biggest jewelry heist in the history of whatever. Yeah, I mean that's not. A very big game. I've seen jewelry cases much bigger than that. And he just hands out jewelry. Yeah, right. And he hasn't even hasn't even made sure he's got the right Mickey before no. he gives out the jewelry, <laughs> as we'll learn in the next scene. I don't know why Mickey only got one earring, though. Everybody else got handfuls of stuff. Yeah, you would think he would have gotten the lion's share. Well, you would have think the police would have kept the jewelry as evidence and perhaps given them a cash reward. But you would would be thinking, and thinking is probably not what you should be doing right now. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) So this is a really nice split screen here, and it's a cute joke to end the episode with, but of course, all they have to do is fingerprint the guys. Of course, but no. Let's just have Mickey play a song. Yeah. And that'll prove. (laughs) Yeah. And here we go. Yep. So back back... at the pad, playing Mm -hmm. music. And there's Davey. On the blue hat, you're right. Yeah. Everything's blue in this. Even the maracas are blue. Oh, that's um, interesting. I wonder whether this was supposed to be them rehearsing. Yeah. I always wondered about some of the pre-canned just band playing in a location. Yeah. I mean, this is, unless they're having a house concert, um, mm. we've seen them perform in this configuration for um, Mon- uh, Monkey Mother. And they did sometime in the morning and in, for a house full of guests when in the chaperone. Yeah. And they did take a giant step. Well, I guess they have to practice somewhere. Yeah. You know, they work out their new tracks and practice for gigs in the house. Why not? Yeah. Put on their matching shirts. Sure. Of course. <laughs> they, they Well, they have to they have to really sell the practice, right? You have to pretend like you're on stage. Mm-hmm. You have to be in the moment. Yeah. So... Interesting mm-hmm. tight close-up, by the way, on Mickey singing there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. You know, they're, for the most part, playing what they seem to be playing. And uh, Mickey's not adjusting the mic while he's singing anymore. Yeah, Mike's actually doing real guitar chords. Yeah. Just... There is a moment early on when Davey keeps shaking the maracas, even though there's no maracas at that point in the <sighs> song. But, uh, uh... and... I checked. He's only holding six, but they're pretty big, so it's pretty still pretty impressive. That's an awful lot of maracas, man. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, he had eight for uh, Papa Jean's Blues, but Jesus. I said, I think these ones might be a little bit on the larger size, so it still looks like a real big handful. And he, and he is really shaking them. Oh, he's working those things, man. <laughs> oh, and here we got the post-episode run a little bit short interview, but I like that they did this so that you can yeah. they could explain why Davy wasn't there. Yeah, I'm they sure didn't people do that. Are worried. They didn't do that for the episodes Mike missed in the second season, but this was pretty significant. So, and they had you know a nice explanation. These reaction shots from the others sitting around, I don't think they were actually there. I think they were edited in from another time. It looks like it, yeah. But because uh, we later see that Dave is all by himself on those stairs. Oh, good point. Yeah, I'm not sure. I guess. If he had to be back for the concert on the 26th is why he missed his sister's wedding. He said he was too early, but uh, maybe she got married on the 27th or something. Oh, yeah, it's possible. So I guess that brings us to the end of the episode. I guess it's mm -hmm. time to do our most valuable monkey voting. And Melanie, why don't you kick us off? Who is your most valuable monkey? Well, I have to give it to Mickey. He played three different roles and he played them all brilliantly. All right. Well, I am going to go off the beaten trail and I'm going to give my most valuable monkey to Davey for taking the episode off. <laughs> I think that was a bold move. You know, uh, he had a big fan base out there looking for him. And I guess that's why they had to tack on that bit at the end to make sure that everybody who was missing Davey in this episode knew that he didn't just quit the show. That, uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. I, I, I don't think it can be anybody but Mickey. In my mind, since it is a Mickey-centric episode, I think you, you have to give it to him for all the reasons you list and all the reasons that we are about to read from our listeners out there who voted on Facebook. So um, we have a whole lot of them to get through. So do you want to kick off with the first handful? Yeah, sure. I'll get it started. James Talata said, uh, these are all votes for Mickey, by the way. James Talata said, mainly for putting his own life on the line to impersonate Babyface. Hmm. Lynette Seward-Solomon said, hands down, Mickey. Jennifer Souza Reiner said, because Babyface was amazing. And also voting for Mickey, we had David Levin and Jamie Ewing. And I'll let you read the next one because it's a long one. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Brian Harwell votes for Mickey because he is the center of the universe. Mike and Peter play sidekicks to Mickey. The guest stars revolve around Mickey. And don't forget the scenes where Mickey and Babyface played by Mickey. He's also the lead singer in the music video at the end, Viva Mickey. Uh, <laughs> Melissa Mackey also voted for Mickey, along with Michael Lynch, who says, For surviving as long as he did, bearing a striking resemblance to the most vicious killer in America before anyone had even called him on it. Uh, Tara Becker says, Not just because the story circled around him, but he played two polar opposite characters in the same episode. And Jessica Samick says, uh, who actually voted for Babyface. Good try, Jessica. <laughs> We're recording your vote for Mickey. So, and let's see. We got more, too. Why don't you jump in on us, Melanie? Sure. Mickey Klafka also voted for Babyface. Good try. We can't tell them apart, so we're recording your vote for Mickey. Uh, Mary Hurley voted for Mickey. Jane Knight said, he did such a good job acting, and I loved Babyface. <laughs> Crystal Border said, he did an excellent job playing both himself and Babyface. Karen McConnell-Hall voted for for Mickey, and Charles Nehemiah said this is his episode. Awesome. Karen Reed, who says he was an awesome playing babyface. 
Uh, wow, I'm going to mess this one up. Kathy Falchicchio. Falchicchio. I'm sorry, Kathy. My, I, I'm, I'm terrible with names. Uh, Cindy Heath says, not easy to play two opposite roles in the same show or film, especially during the jail scene. And Jackie Parsons Griffith says, because he's very talented, handles everything great. And we've got a few other votes here. Sandra Marsh Miller and Peter Khalil. And why don't you take us out? Christine Perry Lang said he carries the whole episode. Kathy Coyle, he is the focus of the show. Carolyn Negron voted for Mickey, as did Trevor Duncanson, who said it's in the title. And finally, I have to say what a great name this person has. M. Mitchell Marmel <laughs> says, I get the general impression there's a slim chance Mickey might be ever so slightly involved in this episode. I could be wrong, of course. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. I think Peter Peter got one vote from Madeline Horath because he stepped up to the challenge and helped, even though he had no idea what he was helping with. And finally, we have a single vote for Mike from Jason Eggers, who said, got to go with Mike. He runs to the door to converse with a cop and ends up buying a whole stack of policemen's ball tickets. Ah, yes. And <laughs> spends 20 bucks in the process. So. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, the clear winner by a landslide is Mickey. He's going to get the most valuable monkey for this episode, I think. And I guess that well, brings us... Well, who knows? we we, we got to hear from the other viewers or listeners. Well, um, they can still vote, but yeah. it's, off. it's awfully lopsided so far. I don't know. I think if anybody <laughs> comes from behind here, it's rigged. It's rigged. <laughs> the, the reel is wigged. The reel is wigged. <laughs> All right. So I guess that brings us to a, the end of another color cast commentary here on the Zilch podcast. And... Melanie, it's always fun to be with you on these episodes. Oh, I've had a wonderful time. And you know what? You're actually sounding better now than you did at the start. Oh, great. Great. Good. Yeah. Maybe I'm maybe I'm recovering as we speak. I'm sure I'll be here, here. hoarse in the morning. But all right. So thank you, everybody out there, for listening to the Color Cast commentary here on Zilch. We're always happy to be with you. And we look forward to talking to you guys again on another Color Cast commentary really soon. Bye. The Monkeys, the complete series. All 58 episodes, newly remastered in stunning HD from the original negatives for the very first time. Plus the 1969 TV special 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Bonus material includes commentaries from all four monkeys, original Kellogg's monkeys commercials, and more. The 1968 monkeys film, Head in HD with never before seen outtakes. Unique packaging including a 7 inch single featuring Star Collector back with Going Down in unique TV mono mixes. This collection is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered box sets, and once those are sold out, this edition and the bonus disc will never be available again. Everything you loved about the monkeys on TV, it's yours in high def on Blu-ray. Now, the monkeys, the complete series. Go to rhino.com or themonkeystore.warnermusic.com. The monkeys, the complete TV series on Blu-ray. Thank you for tuning in to tonight's Monkeys Color Cast. I'm your announcer, Ghosty Timbers. Now, back to the show. I would like to thank everybody for tuning in to Zilch today. You, our friends and listeners, are what continue to make the Zilch podcast and the Zilch Facebook group so much fun to put out and be part of. 
I want to encourage everyone to check out these fine other Monkeys podcasts as well. The Same Page cast with Craig Smith and Megan Stem Wade. Dave Galvin's podcast, We Want the Monkeys, part of Zilch. And the Texas Prairie Chicken Home Companion Monkeys podcast, featuring Big Al Bigley, Awesome Alan Williams, and the lovely Jody Ritson. We love and support all of you and your shows. We are one. Until next time, I'm your host, Coughing Ken Mills. Until next time, take some time to monkey around and we will see you on the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.